I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'll often teach our community, my wealth identity can hold my humanness. Me being wealthy doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm Beyonce and I don't have any problems. <laughs> it's like, actually, my wealth identity gives me this the attention span to focus on these things. But if I was in survival, I wouldn't be able to look at Q and, hey, baby, I want to deeply understand you right now. I want to slow down time and feel you, even though what you're saying is difficult for me to hear. Teach me. Show me. But if I'm in survival, my attention span can't hold that. So as we brought in more cash and as the growth and all the things have happened, guess what else has happened? My attention span has increased and I'm able to really look at and be in deeper integrity with my surroundings. And for some, and this is what I'm committed to changing, that's a privilege. And I'm not okay with that. I want as many humans as possible to increase their attention span so they're not just focused on making money, but they're bringing wealth into existence from every living room, every kitchen, to every driveway, to every relationship, to every delighted moment they're designed to have on this earth. And they create a wealth identity that walks with them into every single room. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self-success with the people we follow and the teachers who help us on our way. I hope you find this episode valuable. And if you need support aligning your profession to your true nature, your unique gifts and your passions, I'm here to help. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about Offline's personal and professional development opportunities or follow getoffline.co on social media. You can find me at Alison Larson Rice. Thank you for being here. I hope you're ready to receive. I want you to know that I think this honest conversation has the potential to spark real and meaningful change in your life. Evolution. I was actually quietly crying in the background for a lot of this honest conversation. It really moved me. Tori Washington calls herself a money medicine woman. She's a business and sales mentor and the founder of Wealth Embodiment Flow. It's a somatic financial practice that exists to reprogram our relationship with money and also what it means to feel prosperous from a cellular level. You know, I always talk about all of us being loving ideas in the eyes of God. I can't even remember who said that now. Maybe Marianne Williamson? But speaking to Tori, I felt God in the room. She is such a steady and clear vessel, and being in the presence of someone who is here doing God's work... It's rare, and that makes it energizing and exciting. Through mentors like Tori, 
we're able to bear witness to what it looks and sounds like when we're living in alignment with our true nature and using our unique gifts to serve. This is Offline's entire reason to exist. Okay, some background before we get stuck in. Tori's career was beautifully ordinary before it wasn't. After graduating from college, she moved to Chicago to start her corporate life in a big city with her then fiancé. She ended up working as a project manager at a commercial real estate firm, and as the story goes, she was earning a lot of money but felt deeply unfulfilled. She left that role to redefine her career and move in the direction of her passions and her purpose, something so many of us are exploring. This saw her teaching yoga and eventually managing yoga studios and leading these really potent underground workshops. And it was actually the workshops that helped her to make contact with her unique gift, which, in her words, is leading transformational experiences that wake people up to their brilliance. She left managing studios in 2017 to dive headfirst into her own business. And then came bankruptcy, a moment she now calls a masterpiece and what was clearly the throughway to her next upgrading consciousness. Tori is us, or at least she has been where so many of us are or also have been, in the trenches, trying to figure it all out. I'm really thrilled to share that at the time of recording in late 2021, Tori had just celebrated her first million dollar year. So keep going. Don't give up. Now, I know I don't need to hope this one helps you on your way because I know it will. Here's the absolutely profound Tori Washington and me, Old Waterworks, for Offline. So beyond following you, I have, of course, been doing my research and you call yourself a multi-passionate, which I absolutely love. And I wondered if that's a bit of an active step away from this girl boss hustle, side hustle, climbing, smashing the glass ceiling culture that so many of us, you know, as young, ambitious women have been sort of programmed to sort of subscribe to. Is that right? I wouldn't say, I don't think that I call myself that in spite of anything. I think that it's just a part of who I am and the way that my, my makeup has pronounced itself. And I know that my purpose on this planet is to initiate ideas that not everybody has the innovation or the capacity to initiate. I also know my purpose is not to follow everything through. So it's really important for me to understand that every idea that I receive is not always mine to move through, that I am going to receive many ideas and there's ones that I'm called to translate for our collective. And then there's others that I'm meant to initiate others into. And in that regard, it we create a community of where has God positioned you in the valley of life versus I'm this, you're that, that's wrong, that's bad, because some are positioned 
to be the bosses and the singular focused momentum that women like me can move behind or around to do something else. And so with multi-passionates, we often just by coaching multi-passionates and also resonating as one myself, there's a moment in our identity where we think we're all over the place because society likes things neat and put together and we're just simply not that. So there's a messy ebb and flow where you're catching and juggling many balls. And I've also noticed that multi-passionates got made fun of and bullied for being spastic, uh, expressive. And I've realized that I was actually just coaching one of my clients recently. I realized it's because with a multi-passionate, we can hold more passion than society is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. To be passionate is often misunderstood. You're angry. You're too much. Calm down. Why is it such a big deal? Anytime someone shows passion, the other side is, how do I juggle this? How do I hold this? Like that feeling. So multi-passionates have seen that from so many people in their life that their biggest breakthrough is remembering that their capacity to hold that passion is their gift. And it's why they can bring ideas to life. And it's why they're meant to do many projects on this planet because we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of things that get to get done, that get to be moved, that get to be cultivated, experienced, and multi-passionates are at the helm of that. And we're supposed to pivot frequently because we have to follow the call to the next thing and we get to trust that what we left behind, someone else is gonna pick up and move all the way through because that's their position in it. So I like to look at it more of a sequence versus one is better or one is more or one is is uh, valued higher than the other. I think we're all playing God's game. And mm-hmm. if God called you to love more than one thing, you have to trust that and listen in for the timing and the call for each piece to be expressed outwardly to the world. Mm. You spoke a lot about God just now, and you also acknowledged God at the beginning of our recording. Mm -hmm. What is that to you? What is that source? For me, God is the most important relationship in my life. And when I feel into that relationship, it reflects back to me the highest level of integrity, the deepest feeling of grace and a mercy that could make you weep. It's so beautiful. And I've never known a love like God's love. I've never known myself like God's known me. And I don't just want to know a God. I want to be known by God. And that has brought me into a completely different conversation of what that word represents and what it has represented for me in the past, which was a lot of fear or the feeling of I'd be punished by this thing that was above me. But really, God is the spirit within me. Mm -hmm. And that has brought me down many different paths, but most recently down a path of Christ, of Yeshua, of understanding the blueprint of Jesus Christ and understanding what Jesus Christ represented in, in the valley of life and really learning and sitting in ceremony and worshiping and being delighted by that love. And it's brought me back to, there's a line in one of my favorite worship songs, Maverick City Music, um, 
I gave up religion to become God's child. Mm. And that is exactly how I feel. Um, and that, that song, I remember first hearing it, their whole album brought me back into relationship with God in a completely new way. If you listen to the words, um, they're really speaking into the relationship that you have. And I didn't think that when I was in relationship with God that I would be turned towards Christ, but through Mary Magdalene's teachings and through, there's so many different little moments. And then I was like, oh, oh, I've never experienced Christ through this context. This is an even deeper love than I could have ever dreamed up. And so it's so much fun now and it's, Mm. it's so delightful and it's a, it's a joy and a peace in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm getting really emotional and I don't know whether it's because I'm like, it's 8am and I'm sort of halfway through my first try. Mm. Just you speaking, I don't know, like I'm already. So I just want to prep you for some tears potentially. <laughs> good. <laughs> we can try. Oh dear. It's my number mm. one favorite pastime. Um, Just when you're speaking about God, it's like, Sometimes we can hear that word and that bit, you know, that capital G. And um, it can silence a room, it can silence a, lo- a lot of rooms, actually. And I'm sure you've experienced some where it does. And mm-hmm. what I'm always remembering, and certainly in my own work as a coach, is we get to identify this source for ourselves. And what's so beautiful about what you're explaining is it doesn't really matter what we believe or what we subscribe to, it's just this understanding that. We're an expression of it. It isn't something that we need to um, manipulate or ask for things or, you know, it's just that, you know, we're always a loving idea in the eyes mm. of God. So um, mm-hmm. such a beautiful way to, to start our conversation. Thank you. Um, so today you are the, you know, what I would call wildly successful um, founder of the Wealth Embodiment Flow, and you're serving hundreds upon hundreds of women. But of course, it wasn't always this way. And one of the most interesting things I heard you say is that you didn't start it for someone else or for us, that you started it for you. And I wondered if you could share what you mean by that. Wealth Embodiment Flow was something I practiced in my living room in a 700 square foot apartment. And it came out of a frustration and an anger at the industry, to be honest. I was angry that I was signing up for course after money course that was regurgitating the same thing with a different brand. And none of it really truly went into the roots of what I felt I was holding around my relationship with money. As I've grown and evolved, I look back on those courses with deep gratitude and reverence because they brought through a financial awareness that birthed what I hold today. And sometimes when you're in it and you feel that anger, you can't see the lesson that's right in front of you. You can't see the, the hey, it's like, no, this is the first step. Hold on. And mm-hmm. so I, I give grace to that anger and I give gratitude to the courses that I took. But I saw a gap in the industry that there wasn't anyone talking about the bloodline. There wasn't anyone talking about the feeling that you hold in your bone marrow around money or no one was talking about building a wealth identity. All I was learning was how to eliminate limiting beliefs to make more money, which put me back in a repetitive conversation of 
how do I go get it? How do I fix myself to go get it? And I remember being in my living room, finishing up one of the courses. And I just, I was like, oh, this is, if I could just shake the scarcity off, if I could just rip it off like a scarf that was on my neck, I would feel so much relief. And then I heard a voice say, well, get up and go do it. And so I started to shake and roar. And I remember running in place in my living room and I was like, lying, like, ah, just like, ah, just like, get it out of my throat, get out of my tongue. And I started to shed and weep. I was feeling my mother's throat. I was feeling my grandmother's throat. I was feeling holy rage for every woman in my family that wanted to go, ah. And it hit me that this is it. This is the body's way. And the body's way is the one I want to follow. So we, the mantra came in, body leads, mind follows. Body leads, mind follows. Body leads, mind follows. And I just let that play. And then eventually it turned into uh, eight different postures. I practiced them. And I would record them sometimes and share them on Instagram. But I was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm moving I'm bringing wealth into existence is what it felt like. I'm not making money. I'm bringing wealth into existence, which is bringing a new identity online. I can't learn this identity in a book. I can't learn it through another woman, especially another white woman who doesn't know or hold the same bloodlines that I have. She has hers. I have mine. We have ours together. My dad's black. My mom's white. So I'm very aware of the intersections. But I think that this brought me into deeper responsibility for not just my money story, but my legacy and the ancestors that came before me that started what I was meant to pick up and finish. And so often we're told to go back into our limiting beliefs, but there we only find our pain. We find Mm. the pain of what our family left behind or what our ancestors left behind. And through the body, you will transcend the pain And what you'll find are the gifts, the art, the beauty that your ancestors left behind. And it was such a beautiful reunion because it taught me that this is not a destination. It's a financial transformation. And for some of us that are going first, it's a revolution. It's a a revolution in the name of wealth. And wealth is God's seed. And when more women wake up that they behold God's seed, I wonder what would happen in the world. Mm -hmm. I wonder how wealth and money would be circulated. I wonder what walls would be broken down and what bridges would be built. And in that curiosity, I felt the call to bring it to my private clients. And then um, I led a couple underground classes just to see, because this work is big. It's Uh, One thing for me to do it in my living room, but when you have 20 women in their own ceremonies with money, you're hearing one woman's roaring, one woman's laughing, one woman's pounding the earth, one woman's seeing her grandfather, one woman's coughing. Like It's a whole thing. And I had to prepare my body to hold Mm. that and to speak on that with respect because I don't take it lightly. And I also had to figure out a way to educate the industry on what this is because nobody at the time was talking about wealth being embodied. No one was talking about it through the lens of somatics and movement 
we were only hearing it through the lens of manifestation. So it took some time for me to really see it play out in my own life before I felt the call to bring it to a whole industry. And that's a, if you're a multi-passionate, listen to that. You're going to get an idea, play it, roll it with yourself, and then listen when you're meant to bring that idea to the, to the industry or to the world. And then in, at the end of, what was it? 2019, we, I pulled in the partners I needed. We, we built it out and at first nobody signed up. I've told that story a million times, like two people signed up. I was like, okay, this is a huge mistake. Oh God. And then we turned it's it into a such a valuable story that you tell though, because I mean, mm-hmm. I know you've had this conversation so many times, so we won't stay on it long, but we don't really hear about the failings first, mm-hmm. you know, that we put ourselves out there. And this is really um, confronting vulnerable work that people aren't going to quote unquote get straight away. And so to put mm-hmm. it out there and for two people to sign up, this is where it's like, talk to us about the resilience. Like where do you go inside of you to find the resilience and the courage to go back out again after the two spots booked? And you think, mm-hmm. fuck, because I've heard you speak about it, that it just wasn't in the right format. Right. It wasn't. I was doing it in a way, I was doing God's big vision in a way that was comfortable for my human self. And that yes. doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I did it. And, and, and I learned that once you see God's vision, you can't unsee it. Mm. And once you can't unsee it, the conviction is there and you must move. When you feel called to move, move. And I'm so grateful I did it that way because I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how it needed to be marketed. We also launched it at the tail end, right when the pandemic hit, the whole city is shut down. And we didn't really know where the world was going at that point. I get goosebumps. I haven't really gone back to that time in a minute. And it's rainy and the wind's blowing. This is so funny. Um, After that, I wanted to hide and... I felt let down and I felt it's almost like a little girl coming to you and and you have kiddos. So it's like, hey, mommy, look at my thing. And then you'd be like, meh, not that cool. Oh, it's like, I was like, but I had this cool thing and I really wanted to show you guys. I thought we were doing it. And there were people who had watched me who were like, I can't wait to sign up for that. Nobody signed up because everybody was so, they don't sign up. So I learned a lot that people are people. And I launched Wealth Embodiment Flow, but I did not sell it. And there's a difference that I learned. You can launch something, which is just putting it in motion. Imagine you go on a diving board and you're going to go jump in the pool from the diving board. What happens when you get in the pool? You got to swim or you'll sink. Same thing with launching. You get to the diving board, you launch the program. What happens when you launch the program? You got to sell it. I was too afraid to sell it. So I I launched it and I was like, here, look how cool and do the thing where you sign up. And then nobody came and I, 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 I left, I left the room. And so after that, we really, I played with a couple of offers that were also a flop. Oof. That was just a very sticky, awkward time. And then I received this download. I remember I was in the middle, what was it? The middle of must have been March or April. And I saw the industry was going crazy. 
There were coaches marketing, here's how to stabilize your cash. Uh, Everybody was just trying to figure out what's going to happen to our businesses. Everybody's coming online. Yoga teachers are figuring out how to use Zoom. I just was seeing all of this chaos. Mm -hmm. And I heard this in the middle of the room, the word innovation. And it was time for me to innovate. If it was time for me to truly trust my business, even though we had made six figures to this point, I still didn't trust my business. I didn't trust the bigness that it was meant to be. And I wasn't really using my voice to the capacity that I was being called to use it. Then George Floyd, Hmm. then Black Lives Matter, and then the summer that I know many of us will never forget. Hopefully none of us will ever forget And I was sitting on my living room floor, watching all the black squares pop up on social media. And I was like, I can either watch this, like I've been watching everything the last three months, or I can get in the room. And I put on my live video, and I had no idea that that live video would go viral, that it would reach hundreds and thousands of people. And it was calling the industry forward to step out of the guilt and into action and I gave very clear steps and I it was a catalyst moment that turned everything around and that moment I don't attribute to why everything is the way that it is now but that moment showed me what's really inside of me it showed Mm -hmm. me what's on the inside of me it showed me what it's like to lead and shortly after that I shared the video with my dad and I was very angry at the time because as a disruptor rebel type that I used to identify as, I felt it was my duty to continuously interrupt the conversation. But the problem with that is nobody's going to follow if you don't tell them where we're going. So you can interrupt it and say this big thing, but then what? So I didn't want that video to be just another interruption. I wanted it to be a path forward into something And my dad said to me, I'll just never forget these words. He said, don't be so angry that you can't lead. He's like, I've been aware of this my whole life. We've tried to protect you from seeing this, but don't be too angry that you can't get up and lead. So then the whole business model changed. We launched a mastermind. I, my voice changed that month. My container, my vessel changed. How I was presenting myself changed. The business grew over 300% year over year at the end of that year. And it's when I really learned how to start a movement and build trust and intimacy within a very noisy industry. And it changed the game. And I needed to learn that to hold the global movement that we do today. I had to move through that. I had to experience the contrast I had to hear those words, don't be too angry, you can't lead. And I had to redesign the business to hold the masses, not just the ones I was comfortable with. Mm. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if you've hit it yet, but I read or heard that you're tracking towards your first million dollar year. We crossed it in October. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations. Um, Thank you. One of the things I found fascinating about when you did share that is you said that you don't just have money, but that you actually feel prosperous. Mm -hmm. And 
I want to get into that. Like, what is the difference between those two things and why does that matter? In the beginning, when I started to see the business pick up, I made a commitment that I want to show my community how to build a legacy that outlives them and how to create a wealth identity where they actually feel prosperous because anybody can go and make money. And a lot of people will, a lot of people will, and then they won't, and then they will, and then they won't. A lot of people will make big money, but not everybody will feel prosperous. And that is the difference between being a money maker and bringing wealth into existence. So the money maker is doing things to make money happen. And there's always the feeling of pushing out and and moving like in this forced momentum. Whereas if I were to say, you know, Allison, bring wealth into existence, your body would stay right here and you'd take a deep breath in. I see it every time. Boom. Because our wealth and our prosperity is connected to our vitality and our wealth, our money will only feel as prosperous as our relationships. So I can have all the money and made all the money this year. But if I looked out and I didn't see the community, I didn't see the respect, the intimacy, the love, the vitality, the humans I've met, the impact, none of it will feel prosperous. And I think that we've been taught how to make money against ourselves versus how to bring wealth into existence with our well-being at the forefront, with our vitality in the room. And and I haven't perfected it, but I've gotten darn close. I just had a coaching call and haven't perfected it. Um, there's still There's still opportunity. And for a moment, I got down on myself because you just want to get it right for your people and you want to go back and teach them the thing. But what was reflected back to me is I made this my commitment. So why wouldn't I manifest every event and every situation and person possible to show me where I get to go next? And for us as a company and for me as a businesswoman, it's so important to have the business and have the the growth and all of the beautiful things that come along with that, but to also have that be incoherent in coherence with my love my partner, my house, my relationship. And throughout the year, those two have sometimes been together and sometimes one on top of the other. And it's this really beautiful dance that I'm learning. I'm still in it and I'm really excited. Today, I feel this eagerness and delight of, wow, I get to I get to figure out a solution for that. And God bless the partner who's with me, who's teaching me that and, and in that with me. So there was some moments throughout the year where I was frustrated at at why everything wasn't moving in the same growth together. And if you're really here for your one big life and you're really here to play the biggest game of your life, you're going to be sent mirrors that are so uncomfortable to look at. And your wealth identity is here to support your humanness in that. So I'll often teach our community, my wealth identity can hold my humanness. Me being wealthy doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm Beyonce and I don't have any problems. (laughs) It's like, actually, my wealth identity 
gives me this, the attention span to focus on these things. But if I was in survival, I wouldn't be able to look at Q and, hey, baby, I want to deeply understand you right now. Mm. I want to slow down time and feel you, even though what you're saying is difficult for me to hear. Teach me, show me. But if I'm in survival, my attention span can't hold that. Mm. So as we've brought in more cash and as the growth and all the things have happened, guess what else has happened? My attention span has increased and I'm able to really look at and be in deeper integrity with my surroundings. Mm. And for some, and this is what I'm committed to changing, that's a privilege. And I'm not okay with that. I want as many humans as possible to increase their attention span so they're not just focused on making money, but they're bringing wealth into existence from every living room, every kitchen, to every driveway, to every relationship, to every delighted moment they're designed to have on this earth. And they create a wealth identity that walks with them into every single room. Mm. And that's been the deepest part of the journey so far. And that's been a, a huge distinction that has supported our work. Mm, so valuable. Share with us, you know, leading your business and having to show up as the totality of you always. Mm-hmm. How do you rise on the days where you're like, I just can't hold this today? Or do you not have those days? Because I just feel like even in my own work, you know, I, and a teacher once told me like, we don't grieve for a lower state of consciousness. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I wish I could just go back to not knowing because <laughs> it was easy when I cared about all my little shit and, you know, and so there's some days and maybe it's new motherhood and things where I'm just like, oof, not today. Um, and really working on my personal practices to know what I need to do this morning to be ready to hold you all today. Mm-hmm. What do you do on the on those days? That's such a beautiful question. And I think that it's an important one to answer. I had that day today. I had a call after this and I messaged them and I said, today's not the day that I can do this. And this week's kind of been like that. Um, I feel like a rubber band. I've created this new edge and we've really stretched that rubber band and we're seeing, you know, when you stretch a rubber band, you start to see the chalkiness, like the different colors and layers. So I always remind my students that it's okay to stretch like that. Cause then you see where you're, how far you're willing to go and how far you're not willing to go. And sometimes we need those points of feedback to decide, um, to decide what's going to happen in that chapter of our life. So my number one thing is my number one, number one, number one is Do not make yourself wrong because the minute you make yourself wrong, the minute everything else accompanies that, you've got a whole peanut gallery in your head that's waiting for that moment so they can come in and take the stage and and accompany that energy. So I really focus on my relationship with God and giving myself grace and prayer becomes a huge I increase my appetite for prayer. I increase my proximity to God. I go vertical. Mm. And when you go vertical, 
imagine if you're laying horizontal, you're kind of like seeing this way, going this way, you're seeing this way, you go vertical, you see what's right in front of me. What's right in front of me is a tree. What if I calibrated to the steadiness of a tree? Mm. What's right in front of me is rain. What if I calibrated to the rain effortlessly pouring into the earth? What if I calibrated to the wind? Where is God showing me life right in front of me? Where is God trying to teach me how to move right now? But if I look at her or them and they're not holding the same thing I am, then I'm going to be going outside of myself. But there's always something in nature that I can sit and breathe with. And it brings me back to peace. And it brings me back to the deeper why. And it's giving myself permission to choose each day, you know, what I'm going to do and, and, and not make myself wrong if something needs to change. So like today when I move the call and, and I think that what feels good for me and that I love to teach my students is how to communicate that. It, it often turns into a bigger problem when we don't know how to communicate it. Mm-hmm. And we just either push through or we don't show up how we want it, which brings in more self beat up or we try to communicate it and we feel guilty. But I feel very confident in my communication And so I'm able to clearly communicate, here's what's happening, here's why I'm making this decision, and here's what you can count on from me going forward. Um, And I don't know why I'm being called to say this, maybe it's I'm feeling your energy, but there's a flip where you're holding the big vision and you're holding all the people And something that's occurred this year is what if the vision is so big so it can hold you? And what would your day look like if the vision held you, if the people held you and you showed up with that context? It's more vulnerable because there's more exposure there. Like right now, this whole conversation, you don't know how much you're holding me because my energy isn't how it usually is today. And now right now I'm holding you, I can feel. But then there was a moment where you're holding me and both of us are showing up because we committed to this and we're letting the vision of this podcast hold us. And we don't know where we're going to go and we don't know what we're going to talk about. But our guts are relaxing and we're letting this podcast hold us. And in that, I always say, um, you'll never burn out when you give from God. Yeah. Just give from God and watch the world change. And that's what I do on the days where I don't have anything to give. I give from God. And I listen for that. So I'm just over here bawling in the background. <laughs> Maybe we can get this part on video. <laughs> I'm like, I have my um, hands out like this. And I'm like, I got you. <laughs> you know, I'm at like, I don't know, 100 episodes. And that's saying nothing about nothing, but. All week, I've just been anticipating you. Mm. I don't know, like... I think just knowing just how powerful you are. I think just knowing I was going to receive... Like I wasn't just going to interview or 
I have a conversation I feel like I think I knew I was gonna yeah and so there's a readiness right that comes with that and and it's interesting Allison because I was told not to cancel this keep this keep this I felt it in the bathroom because I was thinking about it Stephanie was feeling into me and she said we're, we know we're at capacity this year, not in an, oh my God, burned out way, but we're just very clear on the channel and where it's meant to go. And I had messaged the call after this, who's with a good friend of mine and, and we have a beautiful connection. And then I specifically looked at this and I just keep it, keep it, keep it. And yeah, I'm so glad you are. did because I had those feelings myself where I was like, like I... I understand where you're at and I understand the shape of your week and what you give. And so it's not lost on me. The saying yes initially and being able to get in a time before Christmas, certainly. But -hmm. just this hope and prayer of my own that, yeah, don't cancel, don't cancel, you know. And when I saw your face pop up, I was like, yes. Because, you know, sometimes I don't know, you know. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that it happens now, but... And I even said to my husband last night, because he's like, you're a bit off. I said, I'm a bit anxious about tomorrow. I'm like just anticipating something bigger than, you wow. know, what I usually get. So, yeah, <sighs> that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I've got more questions for you. <laughs> let's do it. Um, let's talk about scarcity, which you have already touched on. Um, you once said that you can't have wealth without scarcity and that scarcity is an asset of yourself that allows wealth to be in the room. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> <laughs> I said that. No, I'm kidding. And <laughs> this is this idea, right, that we need to get rid of this thing. You yeah. were talking about this before, especially as you were out studying under dominantly white women mm-hmm. and sort of, and I want to talk about that kind of the intersect, intersection of privilege and money mindset mm-hmm. that we don't really talk about, which we, you know, we will. So talk to us about, I guess what I, what I kind of understand what you were saying is we need to kind of honor and hold our scarcity because it's this kind of sacred tool, right? Mm-hmm. Scarcity is a teacher. And it's often a combination of all the shameful parts of ourselves. And it's a combination of our guilt. It's a combination of our mother's guilt. It's a combination of so many different things. And one of my mentors, Alison Bird, who I adore and has walked through so much with me, um, she refers to Tiffany Blue. How does she say it? Tiffany Blue lessons and then sandpaper lessons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, how do I make the sandpaper Tiffany blue? Because Tiffany blue is way more smooth. There's no resistance and you're still learning, but not in your pain. And sometimes scarcity is a sandpaper lesson. It's the, it's the part of ourselves that we resist the most, but in that same breath also lives our vitality and aliveness. So within the realm of wealth embodiment flow, how we teach it is scarcity is its own posture. It is the beginning for so many people. And if we go skip scarcity, go straight into pleasure, go straight into safety, go straight into some of the other postures, 
we miss the teachings and the lessons that our scarcity is designed to reveal to us. Instead of getting rid of the scarcity and overcoming it, we focus on transcending it. Where is it meant to be transcended? Where is it meant to be moved? What is it meant to be shaped into? Because as you go into scarcity, what do you see? You. You see your self-suppression. You see society's oppression. You could see something from your grandmother's line. You could see something from your father's line. And if we just try to skip all that, then it's only self versus us looking at each other as we're all fractals of the whole. Mm -hmm. And our scarcity is, here's your deck of cards. Here's your deck of cards. Here's your deck of cards. And here's your deck of cards. And we learn how to play it. We learn how to move with it. That's the same transition that we're going to do in real life. So in wealth embodiment flow, we'll be in scarcity, which if you want to, if you're listening right now, you'll bring your hands into two fists and we create the energy of scarcity. And I actually guide you to embody scarcity. I dare you to have the audacity to embody scarcity and her tears come and her grief comes and if sometimes the scarcity brings you to the floor, sometimes it enrages you, but you finally witness it and you see that it's not this monster. It's not this limitation. It's yours to transcend. It's yours to move. And then after scarcity, we have innate abundance. So right after that release, we teach you how to transition into abundance that's going to be your life every day. Do you know the muscle memory? Does your body know how to transition from scarcity to abundance? And can your body show your mind? Because there's going to be so many moments in the real world, you get a client payment, and then all of a sudden you start to feel sick to your stomach. Why? Because you're afraid somebody's going to ask for a refund. So if we don't know that transition... We're just going to stay in the head and say, oh, that must mean I don't feel worthy of this payment. No, it's not about you being worthy. It's that your nervous system doesn't know how to hold that energy. It doesn't know how to hold that exchange. So this is why we bring the body in so that the body can learn and teach the mind how to embrace those moments as opportunities to transcend versus, oh my gosh, something must be wrong. Nothing's wrong when scarcity is in the room. If something's wrong when scarcity is in the room, you're always going to be wrong. Mm. When scarcity is in the room, it's often a, a part of ourselves that's been pinched off and we get to look at it and play with it, understand it, and take it from sandpaper into something else. Um, but this really changed my life because I say at every new dimension of wealth is a new dimension of scarcity. When we crossed $1 million, it wasn't like, no scarcity, it's can we sustain this? And if we do, what do we, team members pays increase? All these different things that kind of, I can feel my nervous system, will it hold? Is she ready? Like you feel it inside of you. So the million didn't come with the reward of no scarcity. The million came with a deeper responsibility of that scarcity, way deeper responsibility. I don't have time to entertain that anymore. I have to allow my body to transcend it. And now my body knows how to do that a lot faster. But I've got 10 team members that I'm responsible for paying for. I've got a house and 
my sister's coming to work for us now and hundreds of people like if I need scarcity to be gone for me to move, I'm always going to be a little girl running my business. Mm. But a woman who can hold all of herself and allows her wealth identity to include all of her, even the moments when she's scared, even the moments when she feels scarcity, that's a woman that's going to change the world. That's the woman who's going to get up no matter what. That's the woman who's going to move when God asks her to move, who's going to rest when God asks her to rest, who's going to speak when God asks her to speak. But if you need the circumstance of no scarcity in order to do that, you're going to be chasing money your whole life. And you're never going to actually arrive in the valley of your vision because it's the conversation of, but I got to fix this first. The vision is big enough to hold all of you. Mm, the vision's not afraid of your scarcity. The scarcity bows at the vision's feet and comes with and is going to teach us along the way. And that's why I refer to scarcity as our teacher. Mm. We sit in ceremony with her. We learn, we listen, and then we move. Mm. We learn, we listen, and then we move. We learn, we listen, and then we move. Learn, we listen, and then move. And... It's, it's beautiful because there's so much permission in that. It was at this point that I asked Tori to share more about her experience studying other money mindset courses before going on to found her revolution. I specifically wanted to know more about what she defined once as the kind of unspoken intersection of privilege and money mindset. I also shared with her that some days... I do really worry about the coaching industry, the fact that it's mostly unregulated and, of course, also a majority of it's culturally unaware. What she offered in return was a North Star, a redirection and a reframe. Incredible. I think it's important to start to look at our industry as a part of the world because the coaching industry is just reflecting back to us a big part of the world. And I think for a while we operated as this was our bubble and here's where we do our transformation and you know, that's that. But that was the wake up call is that that's not that the coaching industry is the world. Like what if we looked at it through that lens? So then it's no longer the villain. It's our responsibility to participate in new ways. And so when it comes to privilege, here's how I approach it. And here's how our company is moving forward. I don't want to just have a business that has a coaching program. I want to be the CEO and I am the CEO of a of a company that creates global change for us. That's going to, that started off in the form of teaching and speaking on important topics and bringing to light in the rooms where they're usually not talked about prioritizing these deeper conversations. And now it's, what are we going to do? So first we set the room energetically of as a company, this is what we stand for But now what are we going to do in the world? What do we actually care about? And how can our coaching company, how can this business now ripple out and impact the world in a bigger way? And as I started to go on that journey, I realized that 
most of the population has no clue what we're doing. It feels big because we're so self-focused, but 95% of the population has no idea what a coach is, no idea what we're talking about, no idea what a quantum leap is, no idea what any of this is. That's wildly inspiring to me, and I'm also wildly not okay with that. I don't want to operate an industry that at the end of my life is going to feel like a whisper. Like right now, as the industry sits, we're going to play it while most of us will get to the end and it'll just be a whisper in the whole bigger thing. I want this industry to represent what's possible in the world. And we're going to have to look at it different. So there's a lot of perspectives. There's so many things to manage and there's so many things to be aware of. So many roles that are being played out in this industry, so much money that's being made in this industry. If we look at the coaching industry through the realm of it's its own consciousness, I mean, it's grown fast. And when you grow fast, there's a lot of mistakes. And when there's a lot of mistakes, there's a lot of cleanup and there's a lot of opportunity to course correct. So I think that we are in an era of course correcting this industry. And each of us, like I said in the beginning, are going to take a different position. We're going to take a different position. And what that's going to ask of us is to not judge the other person's position because we don't know where God positioned them, where they are in their learning or what they're moving through. I did a live stream earlier this year where I said, it's kind of funny now looking back on it. I don't know when we decided that influencers are fluent in social justice. I'm not sure when we decided because you have 100,000 followers that you all of a sudden know how to have a platform that can speak to these deeper conversations around privilege and wealth and money. Um, Mm. That's just not the case. That's not what we're working with. So at the very base of all of this, Everybody's birthright is to be abundant, but only some of us were trained to believe that, and that's on purpose. So at the very basic, basic, basic level, once that's understood, we open up a room of compassion. And what coaches get to remember is that they don't know everything, and we need to be in collaboration with those that know things and have experience with things that we don't. And rather than try to know it all because we're living in a really limited perspective of there's only so much room on this platform. We need to start to collaborate, in my opinion, and in my experience with ones that that do know it. So like right now, House of We, our money membership, our vision this next year, 2022, is to support multiple organizations on multiple levels that are targeting different causes, specifically domestic violence, human trafficking, and bringing wealth into the hands of marginalized populations. I don't know anything about nonprofits. I have little understanding of what's the best way to fill those gaps. And so I'm collaborating with all these amazing women that I otherwise would have said, well, they're not in the industry. They're not going to get what I do. But it's my responsibility that she gets what I do so we can get the work done. Mm. And it's my responsibility to understand how to collaborate with her so that this doesn't just stay in the industry. It goes into the world. So it can stay only supporting coaches or it can go into the world. And everybody's going to answer that call at a different time and and be invited into the resources and the education and all the things that they're going to need to go through in order to 
say yes to that call. I think that before, in the last couple of years, a lot of people were pressured to say yes to that call with little to no understanding of what that actually means. They just didn't want to be canceled. White women didn't want to be canceled. White women didn't want their businesses to plummet, rightfully so. I mean, and so there's a lot of pressure in this space. And I believe that I hold a unique perspective because I have both bloodlines within me. I have the oppressed and the oppressor. And I've had to learn how to build a bridge between those two things and understand deeply what each side means, which is why I believe that my voice has been able to cut through the noise and been a clear conduit of possibility Mm. of new ways of being and an invitation into something bigger. We aren't going to get anywhere if we keep blaming Mm. one another. Um, It's each of our individual responsibilities to have the awareness and then take that awareness and move it into action. Um, In my spaces, particularly, we prioritize women of color. We say it on our sales pages. I say it during our classes. I will specifically speak to them. And if I were a white woman, I would get somebody who can specifically speak to them. I would not think that I have to figure out all the things to do that. I would partner up and be in the humble conversation of how can I bring that into my my company? Um, I think it's our responsibility. I think it's everyone's responsibility to do that. When it comes to privilege, again, there's so many layers there and my understanding of privilege is going to be different than another person's understanding of privilege. Um, None of us are seeing the world the same and it takes a deep level of emotional intelligence to, to truly be able to communicate within that reality that none of us, not one of us is seeing the world the same exact way. So as an industry, what does that mean? We do, it all does come back to belonging of, it's not about being worthy. It's not about being powerful. It's about our collective belonging and our individual belonging. I, for a long time, when I first got to this, to this industry, I looked around, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. So I made the decision like I do in most rooms that I don't know if I belong. So I existed with one foot in and one foot out. And I did that for a long time. As you start to understand the depth of your belonging, you start to understand time differently. You start to understand money differently and you start to make decisions differently. Our belonging is directly connected to how long we think something's going to take. If I don't feel I belong in the room, I'm going to take the long way because I need to prove my belonging along the way to walk into the room. But when I believe that I belong, I walk straight into the room. I I go straight through the door. My call to action for every single business owner is to walk straight into the door, through the door. I walk into the door, through it, because that is how we're going to actually begin to lead. And that is how we're actually going to begin to look at each other. But so many of us are self-focused on proving and doing all these things and raising this flag and raising this flag and doing this thing and doing this thing in spite of 
that were not actually moving towards anything. Mm. And I only know it because I did it for a long time. And it, it feels good and it feels powerful at first. But it goes back to not being so angry that you can't lead. And deeper than that, not being so angry that you can't listen. For me, I had to, to do my own work with my own identity. Because what I'm not saying with that is ignore your anger so you can lead. That's not what I'm saying. Do what you need to do to process and be in relationship with that anger so that you can lead. For me, that looked like coming into reunion with my Black identity, understanding what that identity held, the gifts, the pain, the limitations, the circumstances, the bigness. And if there's one thing, if there's a woman of color listening to this right now, if there's one thing I realized in that is that our voices are huge. Our voices will shake the core of this earth. They are bone rattling. And I wasn't afraid of my circumstances. I was actually afraid of my power as a woman of color because the world was afraid of it and it was projected onto me. And now I can even feel it now that power will tremble you. It will rattle you. And if as a woman of color, you can't hold it, you're going to give it out and let, and then somebody else is going to take it to place. So I don't know why this is coming through there. Somebody gets to hear that because the door is open. The door is open. The door is open. Walk straight in and collaborate with who you're meant to collaborate with, work with who you're meant to work with and partner up with who you're meant to partner up with and be positioned where God is positioning you. Um, And for the ones who rather stay ignorant and disrespectful, focus your energy on, on the bigger, Mm. the bigger path. Because for a long time I was hung up in resentment and pointing my finger and it, it, that felt worse than, then moving with that frustration and, and acknowledging it along the way. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. It's like this on the, in the moments where I move into judgment and I begin this sort of worrying about the industry and that it's not regulated or aware and all these things, I'm like, I'm no good there. I'm not useful mm-hmm. there, you know. And no. so it's like identifying that at the time. And then part of what you were speaking about made me remember like if we think about anything from politics to influences like – how society has um, programmed us to understand leadership. Mm-hmm. Whoever's up there is a direct reflection of the collective state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at that going, this ain't right, then that's the call, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To elevate like it's time, you know, to get in there right. and, and to do the work. So yeah. instead of, to your point, pointing the finger. Um, mm-hmm. Now I've taken up nearly an hour of your time so wow that sped by for me I try to take up no more than an hour of my guest time and knowing how much Tori is holding day to day I didn't want to keep her from where else she needed to be this is one of those honest conversations that I truly did not want to end you heard me receive in this one what a gift I am so grateful she said yes to us. I finished, of course, by asking her my final question. What does true self-success look and sound like in your life? Before she answered, she took a long, deep breath 
Let's take one too. When my life can be a lesson for others, I and then there's prosperity and a channel of exchange through that. I know that I'm I'm in the valley. And what I mean by that is my life and my business no longer feel separate. Like my business is not on a pedestal, and then my life is gonna I'm gonna attend to it when I can. It's I'm living this thing for us. Like I'm being lived through by God. And I, if I'm going to try to give it how I'm receiving it, I'm getting a vision. So there's the feeling and the energy of God living through this vessel. But for what? For us to be experienced, to, to move, to, to love deeper. And so often True success for me comes from the question, two questions. What do I believe for? Now, what do I believe in? Because in is in this world. For is for God. I believe for the the highest mountain. I believe for the spirit of God that lives within me. And then the second question that feels like it comes after that is, where am I being called to receive to receive God, to have more of God in my life so that more can be lived through me. And there's almost an exhale in the backbone of whatever I'm carrying is placed on the altar. And it's not about my timing and when I think it should happen. It's about listening in a two-way conversation with God for God's timing and when it will happen. Not when it's supposed to, but when it will, that word will, in God's will, not my will of my force and my, okay, let me get this done, but when will it happen? And feel that if you say it out loud, that that drops you down into your roots. Oftentimes God will be like, sit down so I can rise, so I can move us forward. Um and that feels like true success. I feel that word has a little bit of a edge to me because success has so much conditioning attached to it. It has so much performance. And I've caught myself multiple times throughout this year. What is performative success? What's like true success? What's performative success? What's true success? And I think a lot of us ebb and flow between the two. But our memory, when it serves us, will show us the moments where it was true, mm-hmm. where it was God's will. And one of my favorite pastors, Sarah Jake Roberts, often teaches, you have your desires, but make sure you qualify your desires with God. Because you're going to want all kinds of things in this life, but qualify that with God's desire for you and for our collective. Because everything's happening in a sequence Everything's looks chaotic, 
but it's actually happening in the perfect sequence. Mm. And so when we qualify our desires with God, we get access to the bigger sequence of yes and not yes, but, but and this and this and this along the way. Okay, great. And we move, we get feedback, we go, we go back to God. So it's, it's that vertical energy of the two-way conversation with the creator Mm. that holds all the possibility. I'll often joke and say, God is my quantum field because it's sort of righteous to say, I hold all the possibilities. I mean, I am in relationship with God, so I have access to all of God's possibilities. And if I think that there's this magical field that's going to speed up time, I it's easy to get caught in the material there. Um, so for me, I love the quantum energy. I love learning about quantum energy. I love understanding that part of our universe because I think it's really important. There's some very, very important codes there. And I'm in a journey right now of, and how does that come back to God? I always ask that to keep myself in integrity. And how does it relate back to God? And how does it bring me back into my walk with God? Because then I, then it, it allows everything to move forward more coherently. Whereas in the past, I found success was, success could be everybody manifesting really mm-hmm. fast. And there's emptiness in that. So I always try to bring it back to God of qualifying it at that altar, being in those two questions. What do I believe for and where am I being called to receive for for God, Mm. for God's resources to be known on this planet, for God's vision to be known on this planet? Beautiful. And if I can share with you, you know, my mission with this work and the podcast and the coaching and all the stuff I do you know, when you said that, that word success, like it is, it is an edge these days. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that anyone who receives this work begins to define it on their own terms mm-hmm. and that we can really exist from the space between our essence and our ambition. Cause I mm-hmm. think there is a really mm-hmm. beautiful place there that is unattached from all of the lists of things and the followers and the money and the house and all of that. Mm -hmm. And that success for you might look like none of that. Mm -hmm. And that's really the work we're doing is to explore that and define that on our own terms instead of Mm -hmm. looking at other people and saying, okay, that's what it looks like. It's like, no. Yeah, it's often a whisper. Mm. Yeah, I love the distinction between ambition and essence. It feels like the difference between God's will and your free will. Mm. It's, you know, that your free will is, let put me in God, like, let me go do that big, yeah, I got that, I want that, I feel so good. And then there's the essence, which is that submission to the whole of, and and let you move me towards that, mm. that it has such a lighter energy. And I, I love that dance. I think that's our dance on this planet is to play with both. And maybe we won't know what success is until the end. Who knows? But it's fun to play with what it could be along the way. (laughs) You know, I knew this was going to be like some type of therapy, but, um, you know, just thank you so much for making the time and thank you for Mm. keeping this in your diary and sharing your gifts with us. And, you know, I personally can't wait to study with you 
So I look forward to that and just thank you for being beautiful you. Thank you for being a a steady ground for this power to exist alongside. And I'm so grateful that we both heard that whisper to just show up today. Mm. Um, that's what I'm here for. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about my personal and professional development opportunities. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them.